Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program has been brought to you by the Heritage Meat Shop, located in the historic Essex Street Market in New York City. For more information, visit HeritageMeatShop.com. Hello and welcome to Chef's Story. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton, and today my guest chef is none other than the fantastic, fabulous pastry chef Pichet Ong. For those of you who might be outside the New York area, you might not be as familiar with his name, Pichet Ong, but let me just give you a little bit of a lineup of who this guy is. Um, First of all, uh, he has been named by Star Chefs uh, as a rising star way back in 2002. Um, and then he came up and he was, uh, in 2005, named one of the 10 best pastry chefs in America by Pastry Art and Design magazine. Uh, in 2005, he did uh, a, a dessert at Spice Market called Thai Jewels that just blew Adam Platt's mind, and it was named uh, one of the favorite desserts of the year in New York Magazine. The one I love, uh, his accolade I love, is in 2004, he was named the Pastry Provocateur by Food & Wine Magazine. I mean, I could go on and on, but I think one of the most honored things you must have received in your life, Pichet, it was in 2011, you were honored by the Museum of Chinese in America with the Legacy Award for Outstanding Achievements and Contributions to the Legacy of Chinese in America. I can't, you know, I can't wait to start talking, and I will welcome you by saying, Sawati ka. Sawati ka, Dorothy. Very honored to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. Um, Let's get right into uh, your your background because we we just spoke a little Thai there, and uh, your background is even though you're Chinese, your background is in Thailand. Why don't you tell us uh, where where you grew up and how you got into pastry? And well, uh, uh, my parents are, are from China, and um, they were both born in China. They met in uh, Thailand, where I was born in. Um, uh, let's just say in the ballpark of late 60s. <laughs> and um, I grew up in Thailand for the first few years. Uh, let's just say in the early 70s. Um, and then um, I went to school in Singapore, uh, where I you know, got, uh, uh, I guess, the British school system, got my O-levels, and then I came to the States uh, to um, go to college. Um, I studied math as an undergraduate, and then um, I went to graduate school in Berkeley, California, um, I finished with a degree in Masters of Architecture. Um, and that was around the time when computer became um, important in design. Um, and it just wasn't for me because um, in school, um, I was uh, discovering the process of making something with my hands. And I've always enjoyed that. Even before at home, we made breads. Uh, I helped my mother with um, whatever cooking that needs to be done for the family and my aunt. Um, and, um, I, you know, I knew that that was so you, something. So you mean computers drove you out of architecture and into the arms of uh, cooking? Yes, 
that uh, we that's the best thing I've heard about computers in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not me, you know, to be sitting behind a desk and pushing buttons. I'd rather get my hands dirty and in. in in making something. Okay, well, we'll get to that in a little bit, but I want to go back into your childhood because uh, you are not only a pastry chef, now you're, you know, just one of the uh, country's top pastry chefs, but you're a savory chef as well. Yes. And let's go back into your childhood because the concept of savory and the concept of sweetness in Asian cuisine is so different than uh, Western cuisine. Yes. uh, And the the balancing. So what was your palate like as a young man, and how did you become one of the great Western pastry chefs in in that profile changing? Well, um, I always consider myself uh, to be someone who was born to eat. I love eating. So you can ask my mother that. Even at the age of four, I was eating quail and, you know, I was eating frog's legs and anything you can find in like one of those uh, Chinese restaurants that have like a crazy menu. Um, I always enjoyed fresh fruit. You know, my mother told me I never ate anything that's out of a jar. Um, So even with baby food, I was eating fresh fruit purees. Um, And um, I've always like had an adventurous palate. It's not so much that I seek out like strange things to eat, but um, well, so the desserts in Thailand when you were very young, mm -hmm. like Khao Niu Mamungung. Yes, you know, uh, Yeah, is the sticky rice and the mango. Yes, uh, it's very, very sweet. It's very sweet. It's, but so, did you did you have that sweet palate? I did, but you know, the, the one of the secret to kaniyamomong is also a little bit of salt that they put in the coconut milk that's draped over the rice. So oh. that sweet and savory combination is something that's very typically Southeast Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that uh, has always been my main uh, profile uh, flavor combination is sweet and savory. So did you go to a lot of restaurants when you were young? We did. Um, I mean, the other thing that I do with both my mom and my dad, who got separated before I was born, was that we... Um, uh, we got to know each other and, and, and bond through um, culinary vacations. Really? Um, Where yes. would you go? Uh, we went to um, Japan. I think that was the first trip that I remember really fondly. When I was seven, I went with my dad, just the two of us through Japan. We ate our way through Japan. And with my mom, it was uh, more like the Philippines or Indonesia or India. Um, she also has an adventurous palate. Um, well, at that time. Uh-huh. Um, well, that's pretty and, adventurous. <laughs> yeah. And then we started going to Europe when I was in my teens. And, um, you know, eventually when I moved to the States, um, they flew over here to take uh, road trips. We drove cross country from Boston to um, uh, Miami. And we and a trip was from Montreal to uh, Vancouver. And we just ate our way through the so, country. So when did you really start tasting Western cuisine versus Eastern cuisine? Uh, at a pretty early age. Uh, we were going to... Um, uh, uh, in, in Bangkok, we ate at... Uh, at uh, Normandy. Um, oh, the Normandy, the Normandy at the Oriental yes, Hotel. That yeah, before John George was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And That's the French fancy restaurant, right. the top hotel. Yeah. Right. Ironically, like 15 years later, I worked for the man. Um, uh, the Jean George. At Jean George, yeah. yeah. Yes, uh, um, and, um, you know, there were other, um, you know, continental cuisine that was around in Singapore so as well. Ha- because for me, there's a real. Uh, seismic difference mm-hmm. in the eastern palate versus the western palate yes. in regards to savory, bitter, use of sugar, yes. um, and also spice, which we really don't have in the West. The yes. heat, you know. So how how do you how do your 
calibrate your mouth? Do you, do you, when you eat Eastern food, is it an Eastern mouth? And when you eat Western food, is it a Western mouth? Or do you have a fusion mouth? Um, I just have my own mouth. <laughs> I, I have to say, I do have a sweet tooth and I do seek out sweeter profiles in food. Just uh, actually, when I have Italian food, I notice a lot of uh, things that I like in Italian cooking is sweet. Um, and even in French, there's a lot of caramelization of vegetables such uh-huh. as um, onions and um, uh, carrots, let's say, uh-huh. uh, you know, when they're overly roasted, right. which is the way I like my vegetables be- to be cooked. It's, it has a very sweet profile that's almost dessert and candied like, you know, sweet potato, um, rutabagas. I think, I think that's what I like in cooking in general. And so, because, I, I, because uh, you know, this uh, title of pastry provocateur, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to kind of dig down a little later in the show of where that came from, because you're a very individual, very unique pastry chef, you know? And, uh, but let me get back to, you got to this country by going, coming to school, you went to college? And yes. Uh, why, why, col- why about, what about architecture that appealed to you? Well, it was college that brought me here. Um, in the in the first you know the first time around when I came to the states when I was uh, fourteen um, w- was to finish high school over here and then go to college. Um, what drew me to architecture was the fact that um, I was undecided um, as to what I want to do. Um, I like a little bit of science, which I was really good at. Um, I like a little bit of social studies. I like history, and I love art. Um, and I love uh, art studios, uh, sculpture, drawing, and anything that's three dimensional. And um, when I was looking through uh, pro- uh, academic programs, that what drew me into architecture in the first place is you have a little bit of everything. And um, at that time, my father also happened to be um, in the business of real estate development. And I thought, okay, maybe I'll finish architecture school and then work for my dad. You know, I was you know sixteen and young and bright eyed, and I wanted to um, you know have some kind of stability in my future. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I saw that coming. You know, which is the Chinese in me, uh-huh. and um, and I thought architecture made the most sense at that time. So, where did the bridge to cooking come in? Professional uh, cooking. I I think working with my hands. I think I I I wanted to con- continue doing that, and um, and I've always loved food. Um, you know, first and foremost, I was actually a customer on all these restaurants that I um, was going to, and um, in the end, my first job was at at Japanese, where I was a customer. Um, and it became like a free internship. So how did you get into Japanese? Because you had no cooking background, professional I was a background. very good customer. And so you said to Alice? <laughs> yes, you know, can I have a job? I'll do anything, peel vegetables, uh, squeeze lemons, whatever. So tell us about that. And then there was a job. And then... Um, how long were you there? Not, not very long, because at some point, you know, the practicality in me said, I got to find a way to make money. And then I went to... Um, <laughs> Uh, La Folie in San Francisco which was oh. my other favorite restaurant in San Francisco uh, it's very small chef driven Roland Paso the chef yeah, yeah. Um, and it's I knew that that was a kitchen where I can learn everything fast and the hard way um, because I'm learning directly from the chef from the man himself so he put me on the um, dessert station and you know I had to figure out how to make mousses and custards and Pat Brise, they didn't Pat show you? you. What did you read books or how did you do it? Uh, I read books: uh, Joy of Cooking, um, Julia Child, um, La Notre. I so mean, he let you run the pastry kitchen, pretty uh, much, or or do that by learning out of a book and being and having the product come out okay. Well, we started off 
we started out with a chef. There was a pastry chef, and then, um, y- you know, y- you know how things move. Hey, folks, you're hearing the real deal about what goes on in the back of a, a kitchen, a restaurant kitchen. So wait, so you, you started out with a pastry chef, and yes. then pastry chef obviously left. Yes, and then uh, I took over, and at that time I was also working the Garmage station, you know, learning how to. Um, as long as, w- in addition to the pastry. Well, you know, it's, it's long hours. It's, yes. it's twelve, fourteen hour workdays. I got to figure out what to do with with that time. I can't just be making pastries. It's a small, small. fifty seat restaurant. Right. Um, and um, so, and Garmage was a big interest of mine because I love salads. Right. Um, so that's appetizers and salads. Yes, Garmage. and terrines yeah. and pates. You know, and in French cooking, that's really, really important. Um, and that one I learned directly from Roland. And, you know, it was his passion as well. And I thought, you know, this is a great way for me to learn French cooking. So where was your DNA going this time? Was it going to savory or was it going to pastry? It was sweet. Well, it's hard for, for me. As to, a professional. It's hard for me to decide. I love eating desserts. Um, uh, but I also enjoy eating savory foods. Um but I tell you what, I do love the way I smell after working a full day of making cakes and pastries. <laughs> I can't say the same uh, if I were to be cooking meats or fish. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Okay, well, we're going to take a little break here, and we're going to come back and really get into pastry provocateur. Okay. <laughs> from the Heritage Meat Shop. Are you tired of just hearing buzzwords? Do you want to actually take part in the food revolution? Then come on down to the Heritage Meat Shop, located in New York's historic Essex Street Market, on the corner of Essex and Delancey. We have rare breed pork, beef, poultry, lamb, and goat, not to mention charcuterie that'll make you squeal. All raised right, by the right people, so you know they'll taste right. Try the meat that over 100 New York chefs ache for. Come to the Heritage Meat Shop and pick up some revolution today. For more information, visit heritagemeatshop.com. Well, welcome back. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton, and you're listening to Chef Story. And today my guest is none other than the great pastry chef, Piché Ong. Uh, we've just talked about your your childhood and background, but I, I really want to get into your professional life. And I, you know what, I also want to point out, you were Phi Beta Kappa in English literature and mathematics from Brandeis. I yes. mean, you've got both sides of the brain going there. So, you know, great pastry chef has this architectural mathematical ability, but you also have this other artistic ability. Well, I, g- going through your background, um, I, I, I'd like for our listeners, for you to tell me about the journey, because you did start at Chez Panisse and then went to La Folie in San Francisco. But in New York, you worked at Tabla, uh, Jean-Georges, Sono, Cello, which was incredible, Aretsky's Patroon, some of the top restaurants. And then you did a large stint with Jean-Georges at uh, uh, 66 Spice Market, Perry Street. And then, like every chef, you've gotten into your own uh, restaurants and you've had a few 
Uh, you've and, and we're going to get into your latest one, which I think is the most exciting. But why don't you tell us what that journey's like? I mean, does every chef want a restaurant? Is it what you expect it to be when you have a restaurant? Do you stop being a chef and start being a business person? What's that journey like? Well, I feel like it's been um, a journey that uh, w- you know spanned over a long period of time, which is over twenty years at this point. I guess I'm giving away my age, but that's okay. Um, but it also happened really fast for me. Um, I mean, as uh, as I was saying earlier in California, um, I felt like the responsibility of being a chef fell on my lap really quickly. Um, first, I was responsible for the desserts in the restaurant. And um, later on, when it became something that I was sure that I was going to do and have my own business, it became a huge responsibility also in, in, in my lifestyle and my and with my family, my parents. Um, because it took quite a bit of explaining to do. Um, I have a master's degree. I spent um, a lot of time and money um, in education. And um, somehow... It's just not, um, you know, being carried through with with a career. But then uh, when I look back at it, I mean, every point in my life um, has meaning. And I think at this point, you know, I'm I'm drawing what I've what I learned at school into my business. Um, So so when you started, you had the passion of food. Now you're in the back restaurant, uh, really learning uh, under fire how to be a professional chef. Then you go to someone like Jean-Georges and go through multiple of his restaurants with more and more responsibility. What's the difference from working in the back as a pastry cook to when you become the pastry chef? What, what's that seismic difference? Well, I think um, I happen to also find a chef that uh, was actually, um, I mean, I consider myself to be a fort- uh, fortunate uh, chef in a way that um, I found support in the right environment. Like, for instance, with John George, it, it is obvious that we have very similar um, taste in food. And I think that's important um, and something that I tell uh, young cooks that uh, comes out of school um, at ICC or whatever school, um, that it is important that you look for things that connect you. Um, and for me, John George has a passion for um, Asian food, and I have a passion for um, <laughs> continental food, French in particular. Um, and I, we, we both somehow believe that there's a merge somewhere. And um, I mean, the key uh, importance is that um, we both communicate well. And we both like that sweet, sour, salty, bitter profile combination. This is way before um, uh, the media or food writers even pick up on, you know. And I think that has to do with timing and the right communication. So I always tell young cooks to look for that when they um, start out their career. So when you were working with Jean Shores, did you always work the pastry sh- side, or did you ever work the savory side? I actually started as a uh, as a line cook because there was no uh, so pastry. savory. Yeah, there was no p- pastry position offered to me when I first uh, hit the pavement in New York and hit the door at John George, and so I started out being a fish cook uh, at John George, um, the first uh, team. Wow. By uh, John George. As John George, the four star. The four star in, in the, uh, yeah. Trump. Yeah, this Trump. was when Wiley Dufresne was there and uh, Gabriel Coiter, you know, all oh these my gosh, amazing what chefs a, were there. What a class of chefs. It there. was an intense so, time. Okay, so did you always want your own restaurant or your own shop? Um, I don't know about restaurant, but my own something. It yes. could be a bakery, it could be a catering company, it could be uh, writing. Okay. Um, I always wanted to do something that was me. 
so your first one was my first one was Pong. Pong. P star Ong. Yes. Yes. Tell us about that. And was it what you expected? What were the what were the things you expected and what were the things out of the blue that you didn't expect with that first venture? Well, we started off well. Um, I, uh, you know, managed to raise money to open a restaurant, and at the time, economy was good. And um, I can had I ask who, you, what types of people you raised the money from? Um, I started asking money from. Um, uh, I guess the first round of people that I approached were uh, my um, customers or, or fans, if you call them. I mean, people were interested in what I do and supporting my future or the future of. Um, you know culinary right uh, and and uh, seeing your profession your your style get out there did did you actually get money from those people yes i got money from those people wow um, but on a personal level i also put up my apartment um <laughs> as collateral to get uh, some money out of that and um i went to my parents um yeah. although that was a last resort yeah because they've already you know paid for my college education right um they've done enough and um you know, I managed to raise enough money for the restaurant to open, and then we opened, and we had a good run for the first couple of years. And then, uh, you know, this was in the late uh, 2000, what was it, yeah. 2008? Yeah. You know, the, the economic economy. downturn happened, the economy yeah. got worse, and um, we ran out of money, uh, but we also expanded fast. Um, I opened up a bakery next door called Batch that um, drew all my resources. But I was also going through a really hard time. Um, my mom had a stroke. Um, oh. I was going through a personal uh, divorce uh, oh. from my relationship. and uh. um, Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a lot of things that came down all at once, and I wasn't prepared for that. So how do, how, do you, how do you close something? I mean, how do, what kind of personal toll does that take on you? Well, I mean, the very first... Uh, uh, thing that you have to decide was to stay open or close and it's like pulling teeth it's like one clean yank it's something you got to do it's painful but you got to do it and so i decided to close it and then um and then i closed it and then how did you feel like a month after well the very first thing i felt was like a sense of of of, uh you know something that's just lifted you know like and then a month later you just go through the paperwork and, you know, you go through a whole long, painful process of cleaning up. Yeah. Um, and then the jobs came, like, uh, you know, the second round of people showing support came through and, and I went well, through a series where was of that? jobs. Where did you go after that? What was your first job after Pong? Well, I went back to John George and um, he was very kind enough to um, uh, offer me consulting position since... Um, you know, I've moved on in my life and my career. I've established a name. It, you know, it didn't quite make sense for me to go back and work, although it was also there at the table. Um, but I did consulting, and I also started work with Max Brenner. Oh uh, yeah, the chocolate guy. The chocolate guy, yeah, by the bald man. And uh, we revamped the menu and um, and rolled out more Max Brenner, Boston, Las Vegas, Philadelphia, and um, that you know went really well. Um, and then I, I worked with on a with a cruise ship, Holland America. Um, wow, you got a lot of good consulting gigs. Yes, I did, and it was good while it lasted. And and eventually, I knew that I had to find a home and um, rebuild my um, uh, myself as a chef again. Yes. You know, why? Why is that a burning desire inside you? Is that 
you know, that you have to fulfill yourself as a chef. Consulting, you know, even working with food in that, that level wasn't enough. What, what is it deep inside that makes you want to go back into the fire? Well, I wanted to, um, I was, I've always been a sort of, um, I mean, I know that I like to do many different things, but eventually I like to stay focused on making one thing and making it really well. That's always been um, something that I believe in as a chef is, at the, you know, looking at your entire career, you you have to be remembered or you, you have to have like something that um, is a signature. signature to you. And for me, it's always been getting the right, sweet and savory combination in dessert and crafting the making like something simple like chocolate chip cookie let's say and um, and so um, you know during the whole time I was consulting I was also um, keeping in the back of my head um, that I I'm looking for an opportunity to create a business it could be a shop it could be a wholesale business um, selling um, my products and, and your signature um, and my signature products yeah and, and so now what? I've found it at Sugar and Plum okay yes. so uh, we're going to get into Sugar and Plum at, uh, which is just fascinating but um, how how did you make that transition from consulting I mean to say I I think I want to go back into business I think I want to I know that you want to do your signature work but uh, did you do it differently this time? Did you well, go about it differently? This time is a little bit different. Um, first of all, um, when I had my own shop, I was doing everything. Um, I was cooking. I was uh, serving. Um, I was keeping the books um, organized, like the financial books, QuickBooks organized. I was cleaning the restaurant, um, washing dishes on certain nights, opening the door and closing it. Turning off the alarm. Turning How many on the hours alarm. a day? Twenty four. Twenty four. Because you know, I answer all texts and calls in the middle of the night. Uh, sometimes the um, alarm services would call like at four a.m. and say somebody just broke into your restaurant. You know, it just it was just constant. Um, and um, you know, you know, I don't have any regret. I mean, it's all part of the experience of being a chef, and um, it's something that I had also want, wanted to go through. Um, but this time around, um, you know, we have a team, um, which I think is very important. And I think that's uh, another formula that has been successful with many chefs. So how did you put together a team? Um, I actually didn't put together a team. Um, this op- opportunity came around um, uh, through a friend of mine, um, Ed Rosenthal, who um, we met uh, uh, when he was working at uh, Star Restaurant Group at the opening of Budokan and Morimoto. And, you know, we've kept in touch this whole time. And, you know, I know it took a long time, but uh, now, you know, he and I are a team and we have a few more people. There's, you know, accountant and investor and a bunch of cooks and my So you have business, you have business partners and you you get people from skill sets so you can concentrate on what you do best. Correct. Uh, And what the accountant does best and what Ed does best. Right. Whatever, and the PR, I mean, it's just a whole uh, system. Okay. So, uh, structurally, tell us about Sugar and Plum and what, what it's, because it's not one-dimensional. Uh, Sugar and Plum uh, is a company that had uh, started uh, about a little short of a year ago. Um, it was a start of being a commissary that um, provides uh, desserts to um, a store in Paramus, and then they also do wholesale uh, that they sell to hotels and uh, catering companies and restaurants, and um, 
you know thus far it's been uh, doing quite well and uh, when they um, were looking to expand and uh, open up retail outlets in uh, New York City uh, they had approached me and um, you know I went through the whole process of uh, interviews and communication and tasting and then finally um, I joined the team uh, a few months ago and um, now we're just working hard to um, uh, get the store open um, it it really looks like it could be open tomorrow if you actually visit the store on it's at the first one is at 78th in Amsterdam it looks like it could be open tomorrow but um, um, I need all cooks so Okay. Yeah, so please send Here's me resumes. A, yeah, so send resumes in. <laughs> and uh, counter people. And, and counter, okay. So you're recruiting here. Recruiting. All, all of you, pe- do people need experience? Uh, well, considering I didn't start off with any experience, <laughs> I'm willing to train for the right I want. I want to see how many people are going to be. Uh, talk to uh, Jack here, Jack Inslee at uh, HeritageRadioNetwork.org, <laughs> and um, we'll see what we could do. Well, we're going to take another break here, and we'll be coming back in a few minutes, and we're going to delve into what you're going to do at Sugar and Plum. Okay. This is Chef Story, and I'm Dorothy Can Hamilton speaking to the great pastry provocateur Pichet Ong. And we just ended the last segment by talking about his new venture, Sugar and Plum. And uh, it's a big commissary that actually provides desserts to hotels and restaurants. And uh, if you're lucky enough to live around Paramus, New Jersey, they've got a shop out there. But uh, you're going to be opening now in Manhattan. And that's a whole different kettle of fish, I would imagine, uh, than a commissary. Yes, I think so. And um, I'm, I'm very comfortable. I mean, I think I do have a... F- following <laughs> I know you have a following yeah so um, Upper West Side is not quite my territory but I think um, you know because of the neighborhood um, it, it is something that's uh, much needed in the neighborhood now it's going to be more than a pastry shop bakery isn't it going to be a yes. bit of a restaurant why don't yes. you tell us what the concept is well uh, it's going to be um, a restaurant bistro uh, more of a bistro and, and bakery cafe type you can come in any time of the day um, the type of food I would cat characterize it as characterizes as being um, comfort everyday food um, you're gonna have your Caesar salad your sandwiches uh, mac and cheese um, steak uh, beet salad I mean things that I love and um, and the chef uh, 
Stephen Ferdinand um, does really well. Um, but you have to re- leave room for dessert because yes. that would be a big reason. Yes, that to is go the there. policy. Everybody must get dessert, <laughs> even if it's something that's uh, like a fruit tart. <laughs> okay, so anyone visiting New York or lives in New York, I have to say you have to go up to 78th in Amsterdam after I think it's August 15th. You're going to open around there, around there, mid-August, because you know when Adam Platt went gaga over your uh, desserts in New York Magazine. It was because he called them Thai jewels. It was the Thai jewels that you had on Spice Market's menu, right? Yes. And your your desserts, more than anyone, I think, look like jewels. Tell <laughs> tell us where your visual eye comes from, and you know what you're trying to do with your desserts. I've always been a fan of anything that's kind of sparkly and bright. <laughs> um, uh, you know, bling is always in for me. Um, not that I can. You know that I look good in them or can afford them, but I do like enjoy looking at um, shiny new things. I mean, I um, you know I but I do like uh, I do like the idea of uh, food being uh, a thing of beauty, um, and uh, it, and it it doesn't necessarily mean um, precious. It could it could be like a simple uh, pizza that I think is charred and beautiful, and you know you take a moment to look at it and then you eat it. Right. So, how big should a dessert be? Should you have a huge piece of cake? No, absolutely not. I think dessert is something that um, I mean. In my culture, we grew up. I grew up eating dessert anytime. My dad is one person who um, whose eating habits I learned from. I mean, he would just eat dessert at any time. Most often, actually, the first thing in the morning, like as soon as he hits the kitchen. Um, he has something sugary. Something sugary, and you know, it's also a very European thing um, as well. You have like a little croissant or like a piece Pano of chocolate. chocolate. Yeah. You know, anything that's sweet. Um, I think it's a nice way to start off a day, and then also something you could have in the middle of the day. It doesn't necessarily have to come with a meal um, or at the end of a meal. Um, but even in Thai food, you see that you know many people have like curry, and then they have like a bowl of shaved ice or. Uh, uh, Nam Kang Sai, you know, yeah, like, yeah, a yeah, thai, yeah, yeah. like a Thai juice like yes, thing right. to clean their palate throughout the meal. So um, I don't have this uh, set notion that desserts have to be had at the end of the meal. Really? So uh, would you incorporate uh, in an appetizer or in the main course yes, sweetness? Absolutely. I mean, at Pong, I had uh, many, many uh, appetizers that had like, um, a, sav- a, like a sweet compo- component to it. Um, I was putting sorbet um, on ceviche, which I think makes a lot of sense. Ooh. So is any of that going to be uh, done in sugar and plum? Uh, not sure. We're still working out the menu. We actually uh-huh. have another round of tastings this afternoon. Ooh. Um, and, uh, I, but I think it's a really cool idea. I mean, you're beginning to see a lot of that in most uh, chef-driven restaurants is, is pastry technique in um, dishes. And appetizers are a great way to um, show off uh, you know, what possibilities there are in cooking. Is there a difference between a savory chef and a pastry chef? Well, uh, technique, uh, mentally, intellectually, you know, like, is there a different way of thinking? Uh, uh, I mean, to answer that kind of quickly, in a sentence, most pastry chefs have OCD. <laughs> <laughs> and most chefs are kind of, you know, free and floating. Um, uh-huh. But I think in general, there's a bit of precision that's involved in pastry. Um, I mean, I think they teach you that at school. Uh, I think the program is, you know, in baking is a little bit more structured. You go through steps and it's kind of a progression. Right. Um, And, um, you know, the basics you must know. 
and here are the possibilities where you can go. In um, savory cooking is a little bit more um, open, right? Yes. And I think um, in a career, I think pastry chefs tend to have also step by step the process of you know measurement is very important. Yes, it is. Yeah. But you know, I I, I kind of think like a chef. So in a way, when I come up with um, plated desserts, for example. I do tend to pull things from everywhere. So it's a pinch of this and a pinch of that. Um, which essentially is also very Asian in a way. This is the Phi Beta Kappa of English and mathematics coming to get together. <laughs> it's a, So Asian in having different flavors coming together, not necessarily just at dessert. Or, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, tell me with sugar and plum, uh, tell me some of the dishes. You were showing me these ice cream sandwiches. Tell me... Describe for our listeners that you you're going to have to go. I'm I'm getting this blueberry coconut combination. Go tell them about the ice cream sandwiches. Well, the ice cream sandwiches that I made now on sale at uh, Paramus is um you know it's a it's something that you know came out of because of you know the seasonality calls for it and so um you know being in New Jersey I like to use local uh, berries and so I make a berry ice cream and then. I cover it with um, coconut daquas, uh, uh, you know, for that crunch and, uh, you know, to hold the sandwich together. Mm. And then I also have a caramelized banana ice cream um, that has um, uh, a milk chocolate caramel um, cake that, uh, sam- you know, to sandwich it together. Oh. Um, it's something I actually collaborated with my um, sous chef, Tina, who, um, uh, you know, is a big fan of ice cream sandwiches as well. <laughs> You know what? I have a cousin, Joni, who lives out in Paramus. Joni, get me some. Bring them into the city. Or I'm going to drive out there. But we're going to have Sugar and Plum on the Upper West Side. And also Bleecker Street. And Oh, and Bleecker Street, too. Tell us about the Bleecker Street. Well, it's going into the space where Murray's was um, uh, before they moved to the new location. Uh-huh. It's small, and it's going to be a little bit different in vibe than Upper West Side. Um, you know, Pong was in West Village, and I think um, it's... Uh, you know, I've lived in New York for 15 years, and West Village is where um, I feel most comfortable um, in terms of the neighborhood. And I don't live far from it, so I think the Bleecker store is going to be very um, personal to me. That's interesting. So this, these aren't cookie-cutter stores, pardon the pun. Uh, but you're, the West Village store is going to have a different feel than the Upper West Side? Yeah, but because I think the neighborhood is a lot more eclectic and... Um, uh, and I think it's going to be a, uh, a, a a venue for me that I can express uh, that uh, sugar and plum doesn't just have one, you know, dimension to the look. Okay, so tell products. us tell us about some of the desserts. I saw the pictures, and we're going to put them on the website here, so you could go to them. The marshmallows blew my mind. Well, it's going to be a little bit more rustic in um, West Village, and so certain uh, products is going to reflect that. But it's also in a style of service. It's going to be more to go as opposed to a place to sit down. It's going to be a little bit less polished. Uh, it's, it's going to be a different aesthetic altogether. But do, describe more of the uh, desserts that you're going to be selling, the oh, cakes, okay. and tell them about the marshmallows. Well, the marshmallows uh, uh, is going to have um, different um, fruit flavors, um, that also reflect the season. Um, the colors are absolutely vibrant. I mean, you could put these on a platter and serve after dinner on a on a hot summer afternoon, yeah. and they are spectacular looking. Yeah. That's where these jewels come from, I think, and the pastry provocateur in your um, your cookie pops. You know, 
Okay, ladybug. You do have the ladybug cookie pop, but you have a hippopotamus that's outrageous. It's incredible. Well, they they, they certainly have an appeal to, uh, to kids, and I think it's always important to have to, for desserts to be fun. I think when they look fun, they look a lot more appetizing that way, and I think kids will you know enjoy looking at them and playing with them before they eat it. But tell tell people why you started the cookie pops. Well, I think I like the idea of um, uh, using up all ingredients, like all. You know, every part of the... I mean, in savory cooking, it's very in right now, like to use every part of the animal. I don't see why that cannot be applied in baking. I mean, when you make a cake and you make any kind of um, entremets, there's always uh, trimmings that um, that just sit there. And it's kind of sad for me to throw them out. And I think for a cake pop, which mostly is uh, consists of cake trimmings and leftover mousse or ganache you put it together and you form a pop and then you decorate it and then you give a new life to um, uh, something that otherwise would have been thrown away what's the outside icing made of it's uh, usually dipped in chocolate uh, but sometimes it also has uh, pieces of sugar uh, fondant um, to decorate them we also have a whole line of puddings um, which are like uh, soft uh, cake textures uh, in a glass that are also made from um, trimmings. And I think those are a nice way to sample um, uh, a flavor, you know, a dessert flavor combination at Sugar and Plum. What's your opinion of chocolate and the role it has in a dessert menu? Well, I think chocolate is, um, to me, I look at chocolate as a, a natural drug. Um, <laughs> it's addictive and it's supposed to be good for you. But the most important thing is that it makes you feel better and make you a happier person. <laughs> well, who could argue with that? So what's your favorite chocolate dessert that you make? Uh, well, it depends on the seasons. I do like um, warm chocolate um, in the um, wintertime, and I do like cold chocolate all year round. So um, I'm a big fan of um, ice cream, semi-fredo, but I also love um, chocolate bonbons. I mean, I, I, I eat them all year chocolate bonbons I love that soft custard texture of chocolate uh, what about cakes oh I also love cakes I think um, the, one of my favorite right now that I have on the menu is a chocolate caramel cake chocolate and caramel combination is killer and that's the secret to candy bars I think the reason why candy bars are so uh, addictive is that combination of caramel salt and chocolate oh. and, so um, tell us how you do your cake well, uh, it depends on the recipe, um, but in general, like for, I like my cakes to be kind of light and airy, uh, moussey, uh, giving you the impression that you ate a lot of chocolate and a lot of flavor for the least amount of calories. And um, so the cakes, my cakes tend to be lighter, uh, like a light uh, chocolate sponge and with a light mousse and coated with a rich chocolate uh, buttercream that will give you that intense flavor. Um, but, you know, in a warm chocolate cake, it tends to be a little bit heavier, but then the portion is also smaller. I think moderation is uh, one of the secrets to eating these days. All, always. 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 Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, we're coming to the close of the program, and you have just such a uh, rich past, and you, you're a real cerebral chef. You have tremendous... Uh, there's a lot of intellectual heft in, in your desserts when you see them, not just in the visual, but even in the flavor profile. Uh, what would you share with young chefs out there today who want to be Pichon? Um, 
I want to I want to say that it's very important for you to um to for for a young chef to um think about um your role not just as a chef but what do you want to contribute like what do you want to be uh, I think it's important to I mean not decide but have an idea of of you know where would you like to take uh food and I think when you start off you know off working you know find a situation where you're going to benefit from not just as a chef but also for you know your career and I, I i think i tend to attract the kind that wants to um have a business like a small business or uh or you know belong to a signature or yeah. a signature and i think uh, it's important to to think about that i think it's something that actually a lot of chefs have And I think pastry chefs, perhaps not so much, um, but I think it's changing because you see a lot of young pastry chef entrepreneurs these days. You do, yeah, I do. Well, I want to thank you so much. This has been fascinating. And if I can say, "Kop kun maka, pop kun maikai," and we'll see you next week. Yes. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our programs archived on our website or by searching iTunes for Heritage Radio Network. You can find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website. Thanks for listening.